Hi, everybody, and welcome back to an Unpraising Machine. This is episode number 120. I'm one of your hosts. I'm coming to you live from Berlin, Germany, and I go by the name Alexander Holland. And as always, I'm sat digitally next to my number one pod brother coming to you live from Melbourne, Australia. He's got to be the one called... Jamalana. Jamalana, you've got a lovely blue shirt on today. Mm-hmm. What... What do you break out this shirt for? What occasions does a shirt like this serve for you in your wardrobe? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question, Al. Thank you do very you wear much. This I was... It doesn't look like a court shirt. It's lovely, but would nah, you wear it's pretty it's pretty ill fitting. It's uh <laughs> basically it's the kind of shirt I wear when I come back from the gym. Today to the gym I wore oh, my you little bootleg boy. merch. I wore my bootlegged but bootlegged merch Keith Hernandez shirt that you <laughs> that we got at the Mets game in New York last yeah. year. I love wearing it to the gym because I just love that shirt. It just it just violates all the principles of graphic design. It's got so much on it. <laughs> and uh and then I stunk it up doing a workout and then I wow. put this shirt on after my shower. Is this so a is this cast. is this a consistent? It's been going a while. I I go twice a week usually, which so not very much, but enough to, keep, you know, keep the cobwebs off. And uh, shout out to my trainer Adam. Adam just <laughs> uh, Adam just resigned, so now I've been assigned to Jackson. And <laughs> I don't think he listens to the podcast, so I think I can <laughs> say that Jackson and I. Kind of lack the rapport that Adam and I had, and that's something that I'm gonna have to work on because I don't know. I know it's just it's just the conversation doesn't flow as easily, and it's a kind of slightly I slightly dread going because it's just an hour of working out, and then like, what have you been up to? And I'm yeah. like, you already you already asked. Well, me he that. definitely he definitely needs to listen <laughs> to the podcast then, particularly the last <laughs> three or four episodes. Yeah. Uh, um, so I do a podcast with a man mm. who has a lot of personal rules and a lot of them surround conversation. <laughs> I think you could get a lot from that. It sounds a bit, John, like having a personal trainer is a bit like having a therapist and you have to get somebody that you have a connection yeah, with and exactly. understands you. It's true, which is difficult in Australia because if you looked at the overlap of kind of meatheads and people who spend a lot of time at the gym, there's a lot of overlap there. I think... Relative to other countries where fitness and stupidity are less related, they're very, <laughs> they're very, they're very closely linked. <laughs> no, I'm just being a dick. He's a nice guy. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to burn off my weeks of shoveling pan au chocolate in my yeah. mouth twelve hours a day and drinking heaps of heaps of uh, Cote d'Iron bottles. Yeah, uh, but I am drinking. Uh, red berry tea, you'll notice. Oh, um, look at you. Because I thought you know, we may not be in the same time zone anymore, but we can at least be on the same wavelength if I'm drinking hot red berry tea and maybe you'd be drinking it too. Speaking of eating up your favorite treats, it was yeah. a very, very special <laughs> and important weekend in Berlin this mm. week because there were one euro Big Macs all across the city <laughs> at McDonald's. Wow. Uh, one I'd euro? Been, one euro. I'd been waiting and waiting because I'd opened my McDonald's app on my phone a couple of weeks mm. ago and this big banner popped up and said, just so you know, Alex, coming up weekend 
22nd and 23rd of July, you can pop down to any McDonald's, probably in Germany. It must have been Germany wide. Yeah. Get a Big Mac for a euro. And what's that in, um, what's a euro in Ausbux, John? Mm, maybe like a dollar sixty or something at the yeah, moment. Yeah, so sure. about a yeah. about a dollar sixty for a Big Mac. And I actually don't eat McDonald's very much. Uh, one of the reasons is it's very expensive. Now, I mean, I mean, mm. it's. I mean, I might have mentioned this on the podcast before, but in back in Australia and in London. Mm-hmm. McDonald's mm-hmm. was typically the cheapest food that you could get in those territories. So if you thought to yourself, I'm hungry and I want to get the most food in my head from a takeaway <laughs> as possible, then yeah. you, then McDonald's or Hungry Jack's slash Burger King was probably your best option. And that's actually not, yep. the, ca- not the case in, in Berlin. You can oh. get way better, higher quality food for way less, particularly things huh. like falafel sandwiches back in the day yeah, okay. before the pandemic there was there's famously a place called Lebanon falafel next to Bodenstraße U-Bahn station on the U8 and they sell falafels they're smaller than your, your standard falafel but you could get a falafel wrap for a euro and this was a thing for wow. for for years and years and so that's that's the cheapest food you could get but i thought i could start off with the show with something that everybody really loves that i always do and that's i love <laughs> menu hacks because i did a mm. classic al holland menu hack yesterday i popped mm-hmm. down to mcdonald's <laughs> you just got 30 big macs in your freezer is that where this <laughs> is going <laughs> <laughs> the menu hack is to just get 30 big macs and it's not so much an adjustment on any kind of recipe it's just a mm. quantity menu hack no i <laughs> i went down and i got my one euro big mac and mm-hmm. then I thought, I'll do a classic Al Holland menu hack that we can yeah. all love and enjoy. And I bought one of their piping hot apple pies oh, yeah. with a crispy crust. And I sat down mm. at my table and I took both items out of my bag. Big Mac, crispy, crunchy, hot apple pie. And I just mashed. I took the top bun off the Big Mac. and <laughs> I broke the apple pie in half and I put half the apple pie on one part of the Big Mac and then the second part underneath. And <laughs> I've got that sweet, gooey, hot apple jam in my what, Big in Mac. The, in with the Big Mac. And, and that's co- combined with the mayonnaise taste, the special sauce, that Thousand Did Island you? taste. And I took a big old bite and everybody in the restaurant, everybody in the restaurant started, started stood up. retching. <laughs> Everybody in the restaurant stood up and applauded me and they said, Al Holland, you're the king of menu hacks. And of mm. course, everybody, you want to try that out there out there in your hometown? Most places in the world go to McDonald's. Of course, that's the classic Al Holland Apple Mac. Mmm. And now everyone you've in missed, Germany missed, is doing you've missed that. The, you've missed the joke. Oh, Apple Mac. There you Again. go. Uh, sorry. That was very good. That was great. My mind was still lodged on the mental image of you. I was uh, I was imagining there was a German <laughs> Apple Mac. I love that. I was imagining there was a German craze, and I was trying to work out in my head how you'd say Big Mac in German, yeah, course. Yeah, there you go. Look at you. Yeah, yeah. that would be that would be it. Would be uh, it'd be gross something either grosser or gross grosser. Yeah, okay. Mac. Mm. 
There you go. Apfel, große Mac. It's doing the rage <laughs> in, uh, in Berlin. Have you, are you familiar, by the way, with this? Speaking of hacks. Yeah. With what's going on in Burger King in Thailand at the moment. No, please. Um, and I so, can't believe that I'm not because I'm usually all across <laughs> yeah, a Thai you, fast food news you scene. You need to, your Google alerts are fucked. Um, <laughs> uh, Burger King is, this is according to CNN, causing a stir in Thailand with its new offering, a burger with no meat and a jaw-dropping amount of cheese. And it's oh, basically... Oh, maybe I have seen... Hang on, let me have a... <laughs> oh, let me bring this up. Yeah, go on, just describe it to everybody, John. <laughs> so it's a... It's a. Uh, it's called the Real Cheeseburger. Um, and it's a bun uh, filled with as many as 20 slices of American cheese <laughs> and nothing else. No sauce, no meat, no condiments, uh... no salad. Just a, just a big old hunk of cheese. And people... <laughs> Um, have been eating it and giving their opinions and somebody, an an entire economist came along and pointed out that if you just wanted American cheese, it's actually cheaper to buy one of these real cheeseburgers and then just take the cheese home and use it. Um, so that'd be a good time and you hack and we'll put up on our, (laughs) we'll put up on our Instagram. I'll show you right now the photo of the. Yeah. It's just, it's just a monstrosity. Um, and yeah, 20 slices of American cheese in a bun with no sauce or meat. So, so shout out to the, uh, Bangkok cheese fiends that are (laughs) getting on the real cheeseburgers. I don't know what that's going to do to Thailand's already fragile plumbing system, but, um, (laughs) we'll see. So, Al, a lot of people, I think, at the moment are quite interested in something that's going on in a world we love to dip into, and that's Holly Weird. Yes. Um, and particularly in the writer's strike, uh, which has then become, I guess, an actor's strike, and the dispute between the Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, or SAG-AFTRA, and the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, or AMPTP. And uh, so some of our listeners have gotten in touch with you and me during the week or with our producer, Colin. And I guess the reason this struck a chord, apart from being about Hollywood and uh, people who make uh, extraordinary amounts of money seeking to garner sympathy for working conditions. Um, but more than that, I think what struck a chord is that we talk a lot about the nineties here on DPTM and one thing that was very much a figment of the nineties, certainly in Australia was the hit TV show, the nanny. Mm. And so it seemed like an unexpected blast from the past this week when Fran Drescher, uh, star of the nanny started appearing on various viral videos and news reports as, as a central figure in this high stakes dispute because she is the president currently of SAG-AFTRA. Yeah. Uh, so a bit of background, the nanny, for those who are too young to know, started in 1993, uh, which of uh. course is the year you and I met 
Really, yeah. I think the cultural year zero for the podcast. <laughs> That's so weird. I've literally got written here. It's the year zero of the DPTM universe. It's <laughs> funny because it is, and uh, and really the cultural and spiritual starting point for the yeah. podcast. And it ended in 1999, so it was a really exclusively 90s phenomenon. Except that, um, as I'll come to, it's been sort of syndicated and continued in different forms. Won a lot of awards in due course. It won a slew of primetime Emmys, etc. And one of the things that people will remember, I think, about The Nanny, even if they don't really remember particular episodes or minor characters from the show, is the intro theme song, which accompanied the animation and basically established the premise of the show. Yeah. And it was a, apparently it was a reworking of this of a Broadway song. And ah, I mean, it sounds th- super Broadway, doesn't it? I was just thinking, does. as you are mentioning, I was thinking, what style is that song in? Yeah, exactly. It's very much like a kind of musical, upbeat, fun song. And I think the makers of the song itself have earned some awards as a result of that show. And, and I read that it, apparently people like Rosie O'Donnell have gotten them to do the music for their shows subsequently uh-huh. and so on. So what I was thinking of doing when I first heard about this was basically in the tradition of kind of creative nonfiction schblags that I sometimes do where I, you know, throw in a few facts and then depart from the facts at some point. I was going to make up a bunch of stuff about Fran Drescher's life that mirrored the lyrics from the Nanny theme song. (laughs) Uh, But as I went on with that assignment, something weird happened and um, it's probably best explained if I just briefly give you the lyrics of the theme song. Mm. Um, so here they are. <clears throat> Many of you will know them. I, I am surprised because I can't rem- remember sitting and watching episodes of The Nanny, but it's very familiar to me, this song. But it basically goes, she was working in a, bl- in a bridal shop in Flushing, Queens, till her boyfriend kicked her out in one of those crushing scenes. What, what was she, she to do? do? Where, Where was she, she to go? go? She was out on her fanny. So over the bridge from Flushing to the Sheffield's door, she was there to sell makeup. The father's home more. She had style. She had flair. She was there. That's how she became the nanny. Who would have guessed that the girl we described was just exactly what the doctor prescribed? Now her father finds the father finds a beguiling. Watch out, CC. And, and the, the kids, kids are actually smiling. smiling. Such wannabes. Yeah, such joie de vivre. I never Oh, joie de vivre. I thought I... it was wannabes. Yeah, so did I until just a couple of days ago. And then it says, she's the lady in red when everybody else is wearing tan. The flashing girl from flushing. Bim, bim, the nanny named Fran. Boo. Okay, so keep those lyrics in your mind and we'll come back to them. And as I said, the, the nanny ended in 1999. It's been syndicated in many jurisdictions since that time. For some reason, it did really well in Australia. Yeah, we loved it. Uh, was one of the highest rating shows of the late 90s. So if you go on Wikipedia, it says of The Nanny that one of the jurisdictions in, in which it did really well was ours and uh, or mine. And it was televised here as late as the 2010s, late 2010s, I think. And then another good little tidbit was that some countries 
produce their own local versions of the show, kind of like what's happened with the American office, for example. And most of them apparently stayed extremely close to the original script and storyline, but I guess they used kind of local looking characters and, and maybe some locally known actors and maybe a bit more kind of local cultural norms. The the local posh area or something like that. (laughs) Exactly. Because I mean, he's Mr. Sheffield was from, Mr. Sheffield's British, isn't he? That's right. So the lyrics... In brief, what they're describing is a woman who's kind of down on her luck and scraping by, and then she comes across this. She's selling makeup uh, door in New to door, York. She, that's right, and she comes across this rich British. I think he's like a theater. That's guy. right. He's like a theater producer or something. Yeah, and he um, ends up taking her in to look after his kids, and she's this kind of very brash Jewish woman uh, from Queens, and so it's this kind of cultural clash that produces lots of. Uh, humor and they've got a butler and they've got these kids who kind of grow to like her after initially yeah. not really digging and her. He's, and then he's single, Mr. Sheffield. That's right, uh, exactly. So it's kind of a, you know, like a Mary Poppins type thing. Yeah. Almost. And one of the best examples of this syndication phenomenon, just by the by, that I found out about was Russia. So Russia... <laughs> Took really? its own version, made its own version of the nanny, but then, and it was really popular. And then they basically followed to the letter, the story arc of the original show, but then they got to the end of it and it was still really popular and they were like, well, we don't want to stop making it. So they recruited some of the original US writers of the nanny to come no to Russia and write new nanny storylines <laughs> to like extend it beyond the original life of the show. Anyway, but that's all by the by. For, for Fran Drescher, the wild ride of the nanny ended in 1999. And she, I remember she had, she gave interviews in the years following talking about how this was a difficult time for her, a disorienting time, because she was cut adrift from this very successful show. She was in her early 40s, which, as we know, is, you know, famously associated, particularly in those days with. Uh, women actors in Hollywood struggling to find prominent roles. Mm -hmm. And she was, she'd been married to a guy, Peter Jacobson, who was a executive producer on the show, but they, uh, they separated the year that the nanny ended in 1999. So I guess what I would, the one way you might paraphrase that is by saying that she had been working, uh, and her boyfriend kicked her out in what I'm sure was a crushing scene. (laughs) And she didn't know where to go or what to do. And she was, she was out on her proverbial fanny. So Mm -hmm. what, what did she do? She, as a middle-aged actress with a flagging career who had aged remarkably well, she decided to become an ambassador for Laura Geller. For those who don't know, Laura Geller is a makeup brand. Uh, And then she, around that time, decided to run for president of SAG-AFTRA and, uh, the presidency was contested by another actor, Matthew Modine, who some people might recognize his name. He was, he was, um, played Dr. Brenner in Stranger Things. He played Peter Foley in Dark Knight Rises. He's kind of a, you know, character actor. Anyway, uh, the, um, the, 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 so the, the presidency is contested. And two prominent members of SAG released statements saying that they actually supported Modine against 
Fran Drescher. And those people were Charles Shaughnessy and Madeline Zima. Now, nanny diehards will instantly recognize what it took me a moment to notice, which was that Charles and Madeline played Mr. Sheffield and his daughter Grace on Mm. The Nanny. So she was in this bizarre situation where this family, the the character who's played these family members who had previously kind of been opposite her on this show were opposing her as president of SAG-AFTRA. But then they, she won, and both of them have since warmed to her as an excellent president. And again, I'd say one way you could, you could uh, recap those events is to say that she was a member of SAG. She was an actress, but she was basically there to sell makeup uh, <laughs> for, for um, uh, Laura Geller. And until this family warmed to her, the father, Mr. Sheffield, Charles Shaughnessy, saw more. She had style. She had flair. She was there, and that's how she became the president of SAG after. <laughs> and, and, uh, and then I thought, this is getting a little bit beautiful mind because I started to think, well, okay, yeah, he finds her beguiling. What? And then it says, watch out CC. And I just noticed that the president of the AMTP, who's her rival mm. in this dispute, is Cam- Carol Lombardini. I was like, well, that's not CC, isn't it? Is it? But then I researched further and realized that her husband is a man named William Cole, which means her married name is Carol Cole or CC for short. <laughs> and uh, what a what a union bosses wear? They wear red. So she's the lady in red when everyone else is wearing tan. So I think we can all agree this is a bizarre example <laughs> of life imitating art. Basically her life has become that of Fran Fine, albeit with a uh, oh, that's with, yes, with twist. That was, that's right. Fran Fine was the name yeah. of the character. So they also exactly. gave. I forgot that because so they also gave her. It's one of the one of those funny things, isn't it? Where they gave the character the same mm. first name as the actress to make it even yeah. more to give it a little bit more of a believable. Exactly, touch. it was a kind of it was a kind of a you know like where when else have they done that? I suppose Seinfeld's an example. Um, the Office, I Roseanne. think they did that with some of the characters. That's true, Roseanne. They did it. But it must have been, I think it was created by Fran Drescher ah. and this guy, Peter Robson, who was her executive producer husband for the duration of the show uh, until he kicked her out on her fanny at the end <laughs> she's of the show. A, she's, she's also, she also makes a, an appearance. She's a kind of, I think she's some sort of agent or a, uh, she's some kind of media manager in Spinal Tap. Oh, right. So there if you're you watching, go. so all of you Christopher Guest heads, if you're out there mm. watching Spinal Tap, you'll notice an appearance from the, what, what is she? The something from, the something girl from Flushing? Yeah, the, the flashing, flashy the fl- girl from the Flushing. The flashy girl from Flushing. Flushing. What a theme song. But I mean, it's, yeah, I was really hoping that <sighs> there was like maybe Charles Shaughnessy who played Mr. Sheffield would be like the rival president well, it would have been but it would have it would, I mean, I like it would, that he, it would have been if cc if cc babcock had been the right. rival president exactly that, that would have been, been something but i like the fact that he was he made the he made this video uh which mr. i watched sheffield. today yeah mr charles shaughnessy mr she- aka mr sheffield 
where he's basically arguing for why Matthew Modine rather than Fran Drescher should be the president of South <laughs> Aftra. And then, and then he's since come out and said she's done a great job. And I thought, oh, it's a bit of a, a weird. will they or won't they? It's the same situation that we saw <laughs> in The Nanny. <laughs> so um, that was an interesting bit of background, I thought, uh, for those of you who miss The Nanny as much as I do. <laughs> John, you and me, we love doing the podcast and talking about Hollyweird. You've mentioned that already today. Mm. We love mm. talking about cinema. It plays a big part in the discussions we have on Don't Praise the Machine, particularly the state of Hollywood and how yeah. generally dreadful it's become over the last few years <laughs> with the absolute drivelly dirge puddles of scum that are comic book universe movies and remakes, reboots, and intellectual, Mm. taking the intellectual property sponge and just squeezing all that moron juice into everybody's mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But but this week, uh, there's been a marked shift that I have noticed, and it's putting Mm. a spring... In my step, and I thought it would be Mm. worth just mentioning because this week, as I'm sure a lot of people out there will be aware, and I'm sure some of our audience will have already seen one, if not both of these movies. I'm not sure if Oppenheimer has opened yet, but Barbie certainly has. So this week we have Barbie and Oppenheimer, the Barbie Mm -hmm. movie based on the popular Mattel children's doll for girls it's been around for a million years starring margot robbie australian (laughs) yeah it's true yeah margot robbie and what's the other fellow's name ryan gosling ryan gosling starring margot robbie ryan gosling and then at the same time you've got christopher nolan's new epic oppenheimer coming out Mm. based on the man who helped make the nuclear bomb a reality brandon oppenheimer (laughs) (laughs) And it just struck me when I was uh, walking through the the world last week, Mm. I have have tickets booked to both of these movies within the next week, and I Mm -hmm. am excited. Like, I don't really care so much about Barbie. I'm going to see that tomorrow night, whatevs. Actually, I have a few things to say about Barbie and my expectations of it. But I'm really looking forward to Oppenheimer, and I actually went to the trouble Mm. of reserving seats. I I bought seats in the one IMAX cinema that we have in Berlin because the film was shot uh, using some of the highest resolution film cameras that exist. It was filmed entirely Oppenheimer on large format film stock, meaning Mm -hmm. combination of IMAX 65 millimeter and Panavision 65 millimeter 
stock. So it's the same kind of vibe of Lawrence of Arabia. And then it's projected onto 70 millimeter. So for film nuts like me, it's really, there's only really one way to see it. It would be 70 millimeter. uh, Mm. Or if you really want to get in there, if you really want to experience in full IMAX. And so I actually bought Mm. IMAX tickets, which were very hard to get. I'm just going to watch it on my phone. <laughs> on your Apple Watch. <laughs> I love it. John's just downloaded a DivX from China. It's, like a, it's, a, it's a classic. It's a classic camcorder in the cinema bootleg, and then yeah, he's right. and then he's just downloaded it to his Apple Watch. <laughs> like squ- squinting so I can see the English subtitles. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Thanks for this <laughs> cinematic work of genius. <laughs> and uh, and so I bought um, IMAX tickets, and I had to. They were fucking hard to get because there's mm. n- there's only one IMAX cinema in Berlin, and they're not doing that many screenings of the film in its original English version in that IMAX. Right. So I had to keep refreshing the page every couple of days until they added new new screenings, and I managed to get wow. one. I have to wait like. I have to wait uh, a week until I can actually get it, get into it. And it just mm. struck me that I, I can't recall having done that mm. ever real or the, the one time that I can remember having done this, been so, being really excited about a movie and wanting to book tickets in advance, to have the best experience. My, my mother, Marie, shout out to Marie. Mum organized me and her, um, I reckon premier week tickets to independence day in 1996 hmm. Yeah, uh, wow. because that, that was, a was a phenomenon. That was a massive cinematic event. That was this yeah, alien sure. invasion film that was going to be this huge blockbuster. It looked super cool, and yeah. mum, mum went to the trouble of buying two tickets. It was me <laughs> and Marie, and she managed to leave three-year-old Isabel and five-year-old Ned in the car. <laughs> <laughs> We went to the we went to the matinee performance. It was forty six degrees on summer's day. <laughs> she said, "We'll crack the window. It'll be fine." Yeah, I said, "Should we at least get some shade?" And she said, no, it'll be f-. "She said it'll be fine." I she said, be- "I'm not paying for parking." <laughs> <laughs> we're miss. What's his What's his fucking name? In the I was going to say we we. I don't want to miss. And then it was fuck not Will Smith, but fucking what's his name? <laughs> yeah. Dreadful actor who's in it. Yeah, but is it Bill Pullman? Is it not? No, no. The guy who's the guy who 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 shoots into the aliens' guts to blow it up. <laughs> oh, yeah. From from Family Vacation, Randy Quaid. Randy Quaid. Talking about. Yeah. yeah. Mum said, "I don't want to miss Randy Quaid." <laughs> <laughs> so she left five-year-old Ned and three-year-old Isabel <laughs> in the baking North Adelaide sun. Uh, it's like the the world's only Quaid groupie. <laughs> she, was, <laughs> she said, "She said my Quaid groups here was supposed to be meeting a few beers. We could have a few beers at the Oxford Hotel with the Randy Quaid <laughs> fan group while we left Ned and Isabel <laughs> in the baking the, hot sun." <laughs> The Quaid Queens. <laughs> in nineteen ninety six on O'Connell Street in Adelaide. They called themselves Winter. the Randy Ladies. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> Randy ladies had to head down to the Piccadilly Cinema in 96. Uh, <laughs> so that was the last time that I can remember booking tickets to a big thing like mm. this. And it just struck me that this is exciting because yeah. I actually don't know. I haven't read. So maybe you have. So I'm just telling you right now. No spoilers, yeah. please. I do. Th- I don't give you anything. <laughs> no, no spoilers. They drop the bomb on Japan. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And he fails to invent a nuclear bomb. <laughs> <laughs> the Nazis end up taking over, as you would be well aware, Alex, <laughs> yeah, because that's of right. the circumstances under which you live now. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and so it just struck me like this is this marks a bit of a change, or at least mm. this is just a moment where. So I don't know anything about Barbie, and I don't know anything about Oppenheimer. I knew that I was going to go and see them both. I knew that Oppenheimer yep. was this big epic, you know, Second World War atomic bomb. You know, I know about the Manhattan Project. I know about Oppenheimer. I know sure. about Nolan. Yeah. So I know, and I know about Killian Murphy. And yeah. Barbie, I I've maybe saw a brief preview of that with my friend Keel at the cinema. But apart from that, mm-hmm. I decided I don't want to know about what these films are about because I am just mm. going to go and see them, and so I can have a, I can have an honest um, opinion of either of them. Yeah, that's a good idea. But I let me seen ask much you, of either. So have you? You don't have tickets booked to either yet? Not yet. No, the. There is one cinema that I'm thinking of going to in Melbourne that does 70 millimeter, which yeah, um, man, do it. Which uh, which I'm going to do. But the IMAX option is uh, booked out until like September, I think. Yeah, it's crazy. okay. And and uh, and Barbie, I haven't made plans to see, but I'm I'm pretty keen to see both. And I I agree, as we've talked about, it's a you know, there's a there's a um barrage never ending barrage of uh remakes and marvel universe bullshit things and it's very nice to see a kind of cinematic event that's yeah. based around two films that are not that are just original stories albeit well, the, you know one of them is taking advantage of existing copyright but yeah. i think in I would quite say an more Oppenheimer. Novel. i mean the, i guess the thing the, i guess the interesting thing is this very clever and i'm not sure I, I I would be very interested to know the genesis of this and if it was just a clever marketing ploy. You're familiar with this Barbenheimer meme? Yeah, yeah. The genius I wondered. Mm. The genius of this, the genius of the Barbenheimer thing, for those who, who don't know, I believe I believe it, it was that Oppenheimer and Barbie in the US were opening on the same day or the same week at least. And so yeah. this meme was created on the internet of um, which one are you going to go and see first? And then mm. th- it spread to the to the point where interviewers on red carpets were asking people like Tom Cruise, "Oh, what mm. are you going to go and see first, Oppenheimer or Barbie?" And yeah. I wouldn't think that this would affect Oppenheimer people going to see Barbie so 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 much. But what it made what it made me think is, I I'm assuming that this will actually that the people who would typically only go and see Barbie. Mm. We'll go and see Oppenheimer now because mm. it's part of this meme where you have to see yeah, both yeah, yeah. movies. So from a marketing but, perspective, it's just genius. Yeah, it is. And I wondered if it was a case of them, you know, w- whether the tail was wagging the dog or if they saw this meme and then they thought, 
let's just really make a meal out of this and, you know, promote the hell out of it. Because they started interviewing like Margot Robbie and Killian Murphy about each other's movies. Yeah. And, uh, and obviously the studios behind the movies saw a benefit in that happening. Yeah, for sure. I'm just wondering mm. if the studios created it in the first... Mm. I mean, undoubtedly, the way that marketing works is that as soon as anybody marketing Barbie or Oppenheimer had any sense that... If it is the case that it was user-generated, mm. this, uh, this yeah. meme, then the, absolutely the marketing companies will have it. recognized it and leapt on it. But I wonder mm. if it's one of those things where they secretly developed it they themselves. Yeah, yeah. They got people on the dark web just <laughs> steering... Steering us. Um, but, but which one are you going to see first? So I'm seeing Barbie tonight. Okay, yeah. And yeah. it's funny, I've I've got this running bet with my friend Akil. Shout out to Akil. Because mm-hmm. I just watched, the we watched the Barbie preview and there's not a ton of information in the Barbie preview about what the Barbie film is about, except I knew... Mm. I knew that Ryan Gosling was in it and I, I'd seen that Will Ferrell, I think, has a has a role in it as well. Yeah. And the fact that so many people were kind of excited about it and I, I did know as well that this director is attached, I forget her name, but the director of Barbie uh, is somebody who's who has a bit of yeah, a background. Yeah, Greta Gerwig. Yes, in a m- more kind of credible cinema. And, so, and the writer too. Yeah, right. So or, yeah. I think maybe she's one of the writers, but the other one is... Uh, I hope I'm not spoiling anything by telling you is uh, Noah Baumbach, who's okay. um, who's done things like. Do, do, is this gonna is this gonna pollute your experience? I can if, if I know what out. films they've previously done. Yeah, no, I don't, know. I don't know what you consider a spoiler, but I don't think this counts. <laughs> he's done, he's done the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Yeah, okay. Um, he's done. Uh, White Noise, the one about the uh, Don DeLillo book. He's done Francis Ha, Greenberg. Yeah. So he's done all these kind of like little indie films. Exactly. Basically. Yeah. So I knew I knew that it had this, that I knew that there was a team of indie people behind it, which made me think, oh, I guess that will try and do something a bit more interesting. Yeah. Than, and, and my guess is, and we can, we can have a bit of a game here. This is my running bet with Akil. Mm-hmm. My guess is that the story of the film will be that the film opens, you're introduced to the Barbie universe, you're in the Barbie universe, everything's super positive, super pink, nothing ever goes wrong. Yep. If anybody remembers the film Pleasantville from the late 90s, starring Reese Witherspoon and Tobey Maguire Mm -hmm. um, and the now deceased Paul Walker, which I fucking Mm -hmm. loved that film. It was so good, Pleasantville. Mm. But uh, I instantly thought I bet that this is a Pleasantville style film where you as the audience yeah. are introduced to the Barbie world and it's super perfect. And then for some reason, the Barbie world people that live in Mattel universe, they have to escape mm. the Barbie world or they have to leave. Somebody has to leave. Maybe mm-hmm. the Barbie universe is under threat and the only way they can save it is by going into the quote unquote real world, which is where we live, yeah. you and me. And then Barbie goes out into the mm-hmm. real world and she mm-hmm. starts having to interact with with the complications that come with the yeah. actual real world. There's both light and shade in the real world, whereas Barbie's yes. world is all light. Yeah. And then there's and then there's some, you know, Barbie starts meeting real people. It's a classic fish out of water tale where mm. you know, oh, suddenly she's there's there's people doing break dancing on the sidewalk and then mm. she goes somewhere else. 
and there's, there's some, like, and there's a New Yorker going, "Hey, I'm walking here." Yeah, she's like, "Oh, way. people, people are rude here. What the? I, yeah. I've never encountered rudeness before." <laughs> and and she starts thinking, "I don't like. Oh, I don't like this world at all because a positive mm. world with nothing but light all the time is surely what you want." And then she mm. suddenly starts to realize, meeting mm. all these interesting people, that oh, actually, the beauty in life comes from the fact that there is light and shade. And then yeah. my bet with a, this is my bet with a keel. Uh huh. My bet with Akil is that there is an exact scene where Barbie has made some kind of friend. I'm going to guess that it's a woman in the real world. And I'm going to guess that Mm -hmm. this woman is not perfect like Barbie. She's not blonde and skinny and flawless. Mm. Maybe she's carrying a bit more weight. Maybe she's wearing glasses. She's just a normal woman. And her and Barbie become fast friends. And there's Mm. a scene where they're sitting together and... The the girl the girl who's not perfect turns to Barbie and she says, "I wish I could be like you, Barbie. You're so perfect. My I'm not as perfect as you, and I've got I've got spots on my face, and my life's so yeah, hard. Yeah, I wish yeah. I could be just like you and live in yeah. Barbie world." And Barbie goes, "Yeah, well, actually, I think you're amazing and perfect, and you're so cool and interesting." And yeah. I feel like there is a lot to offer from your life to mine. And I wish that I was like you. Mm. And then there's this moment where they both realize that actually they both the bring grass. something to the table. The grass isn't always greener. The grass isn't always greener. And they yeah. can't believe it. And they hug it out. And if that scene is in the film, then Akil owes me a thousand euros. <laughs> 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 That's great. So I'm looking forward to seeing. I'm looking forward to seeing them both. I will see Barbie tonight. Yeah. So everybody can look forward to my. I actually won't spoil either of them for the first few weeks. I'll give. I'll give the audience the DPTM as a few weeks to see both of them before. Yep. I let everybody know, and I'll give you a bit of time, John. So maybe we can do a Barbie Oppenheimer DPTM. Yeah, we'll check special. back in because it, it's very much a kind <clears> of. <throat> litmus test at the moment Mm. of where cinema is at i'm excited about this i'm excited i'm so excited there is an absolute cinematic event oppenheimer Mm. that is not more on juice i love that (laughs) more on juice yeah look having just flown back from europe uh with thai airways show sponsors and um uh, they did they did me a good deal obviously because of their ties with dptm but um their movie selection was pretty shit, i got to say. And <laughs> the stuff that they had in the quote-unquote classic section, just <laughs> on on no rational view were any of those films classic films. <laughs> and uh, it was astonishing. It was like, why are you even doing this? It doesn't – it's just meaningless. They just chuck random films in. And it made me think, like, are they – are airlines just not giving a fuck anymore because they think if people really care, they can just – download stuff onto their devices and watch it. So they're happy for just us just to have bilge on the movie selections. But honestly, like 60% of it was, you know, Ant-Man versus the fucking <laughs> Woodlouse or whatever, you know. Like, and, uh, and, and Jumanji uh, 7. Jumanji 7, yeah, what an absolute exactly. Hollywood classic. It goes <laughs> Taxi Driver, Jumanji 7. Jumanji 7 and Creed 4. Um, but I, yeah, I did think, I did think, is this too good to be true? 
this Oppenheimer and Barbie breakout? Are we going to get, you know, if Oppenheimer does really well, is it just going to get muddied and we'll get, I was thinking, what would you get? Maybe like Oppenheimer versus She-Hulk. Like maybe the, <laughs> maybe the atomic bomb creates a She-Hulk attorney at law That's and then she, <laughs> she, then she sues him for being mutated by nuclear fallout. <laughs> but it's, you're, you're right. It's absolute. Oppenheimer is absolutely perfect for a comic book universe tie-in because exactly all of the superheroes. It's always it comes from the the nuclear the post nuclear fear. Mm, all those characters right. come from nuclear fallout. That's right. Of course. Um, in fact, they've all got this fact, sort of Cold Warry subtext to them, don't they? Yeah. In fact, mm. this is just a little bit of a of an interesting side point. There's quite a lot of discussion at the moment about the fact that. Nuclear energy seems like a uh, way forward and, it, and a lot of people are saying that it was very badly demonized for many years and consequently mm. we just kept burning coal and nobody turned to nuclear because there was this fear of nuclear. And I heard somebody point out that part, part of that terror about nuclear mm. fallout and uh, nuclear meltdowns came from comic mm. books because basically mm. kids were growing up seeing that nuclear equaled this kind of grotesque mutation that made you a social pariah, but gave you amazing powers. Like people walking through sludge and turning into lizards or something. Yeah. So maybe really Oppenheimer is to blame for our, our cinematic woes, in a sense. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually very funny, that it kind of, it, Oppenheimer... Oppenheimer actually is responsible for the current <laughs> yeah. state of cinema because he created the super That's Oppenheimer his... created the superhero. That's his darkest legacy. Oppenheimer gave Stan Lee nuclear derangement syndrome. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> 